Uh, I don't know how many of you uh, thought you were coming to a Bible class, but just ended up at worship. And we'll see how many people show up at the end of worship thinking that they're here for worship. All I know is, is that nobody has changed the clock in the back yet, so I have an hour and a half. Uh, so just sit back and get... No, that's good. I'm, I'm, I'm going by the official clock up there. Uh, so uh, just sit back and, uh, and get comfortable. Uh, but uh, we have been in the book of 1 John for, uh, for several weeks, and you either are glad to know, or maybe you're sad to know, or... Maybe you just really don't care, but uh, I plan on finishing 1 John next week. Woo! Some of you are really excited. You know, that just means we're going on to something else. You know, it, you know it's not like it ends or something like that. But we have been in uh, the book of 1 John for several weeks, this letter that, that John writes. And, and we've talked about every time. I, I'm one of those firm believers that repetition is the first law of learning. And so that the more we go over things, uh, the more we remember them. And maybe you'll remember them, you know, long past my time here. Uh, but we know that John, we do not have to wonder about why John wrote the book. He gives us, he tells us, in fact, in John chapter one and verse four, go ahead, Jamie, he says, we write these things to you that your joy or our joy, depending on how it's translated, may be complete. John wants us to be joyful people. Well, we ought to be joyful as Christians. We have a lot to be joyful about. He goes on in chapter two and verse one and says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. John also wanted to make sure that his readers understood that sin was real and the consequences of sin. He goes on in chapter 2 and verse 26 and says, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. There were false teachers there where John was writing to and they were trying to lead the readers astray in a different direction. He wanted his readers to be on guard. He wanted to warn them. He wanted them to be aware of what was happening. And then our kind of theme verse for the whole book in John chapter five, first John five thirteen, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And we are not to be people who are unsure about our salvation. We ought to have confidence. We ought to know and that leads us to the four things that uh, John kind of tells us about in this book. Doctrine does matter. He spends a lot of time teaching and saying this is important. And these are the false teachers and these are the false teachings. And you need to be clear about some things. Then he also says that holiness matters. You do have to live your life according to God's commandments. You do have to do the things that God wants you to do. You cannot just say that I love God, I have fellowship with God, and then live any way you want to. That's ridiculous. And it'll never work. And then he says that love matters. And he goes into that long discussion about the love that God had for us first, and then the love that we have for God, and then the love that we ought to have for one another. And he says the two cannot unexist that's the no they can they must coexist they can't unexist together that's not a word but we're going with it today you cannot say you love god and don't love your brother cannot happen 
You cannot claim that you're in fellowship with God and not be in fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You can't say that you care about God and not care about your church family. He says that doesn't work. And then he says that confidence matters. John wants us to be confidence, confident in our faith, confident in our salvation, not, not in some boastful way that puffs us up, but in an humble way that puffs God up. I'm not confident in my salvation because I have done this, 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 and this. I am confident in my salvation because the love and grace and power of God. I am confident in my salvation because of the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, and the blood that cleanses me of my sins. That's where my confidence is. And when we understand that, we really realize that, then we will, in fact, be confident. But as John begins to conclude his letter in chapter 5, He makes a couple interesting statements. So in chapter 5, and we're going to look at verse 18 and 19 today. He says, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. And the one who was born of God keeps him safe. And the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God. And that the whole world is under the control of Of the evil one. I don't know about you. But is that a little troubling statement? The whole world is under control. Of the evil one. That's a little puzzling. To me sometimes. That kind of goes against our. Our knowledge and our notion that. Who's in control of everything? God is, right? You know, somebody from Crater Roll answered that question. God is. God's in control of everything. God is the one who is all powerful. And yet the Bible tells us, John tells us, that the world is under the control of the evil one. That's a little disheartening. And maybe even confusing. But... Let's get it to a practical sense. We know it's true. All we have to do is turn on the television. All you have to do, those of you who actually, you know, read a real newspaper, you know, read the newspaper or click on your device or whatever the case may be. And we see the hatred in the world around us. We see the evil. We see the wickedness. We see the violence. And all of this is the work of Satan, the evil one. And there is no doubt as we look around that in the, this world, Satan is in some sense control. He is the one who is dictating what is going on. Now, whether it's combat or whether it's sports. It's important, I think, that we, we know our enemy. If we're going to war as a nation, we'll want to know the tactics of our enemies. If we're a football team or a basketball team or whatever, we'll want to know the tactics of the, our opponent. 
And so as we think this morning about the evil one, there's some things I want us to look at. And first of all, I want us to think about who the evil one is. Now, I'm not going to discuss, because we don't have enough time, to discuss the origin of Satan. But whether you call him Satan, the devil, Beelzebub, Lucifer, whatever you call him, he has been around since the beginning. He appeared in the garden as a serpent and deceived Eve. It was his presence in the garden that got Adam to fall as well. He is real. I think that's something that we tend to struggle with, maybe. We don't want to give Satan the credit for who he really is. You see, if we can imagine Satan as some cartoon character with, you know, a pitchfork and a pointed tail and whatever, you know, on a can of deviled ham or whatever it is, you know, in the old days or whatever. You know, if we can think of him as a, as a mythical, cartoonish, comic kind of character, then, then we don't have to really contend with him or worry about him that much. Ah, well, you know, or, you know, like the little, like the, 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 the angel, the devil on your, on your shoulders. You know, if we look at him like that, then what's it take to get rid of him? Boop, he's gone. Ah. But over and over again in the Bible, it is very clear that Satan is real. He is just as real as God is real. He is just as real as Jesus is real. He is just as real as the spirit is real. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, Paul calls him, in connection with the world being under control of the evil one, Paul calls him the God of this age. Now, little g on God, but the God of this age. Well, I don't care whether it's a little g or a big g. The God of this age sounds pretty powerful to me. Sounds like he has some authority to me. And we all know these verses from Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. These are the words that begin to make the hair on the back of my neck stand up. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, And against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Woo. That doesn't sound like some kind of cartoon character. What it tells me is there are things going on out there in the heavenly realms and the spiritual world that I can't see. I don't even know what's happening. I don't even, I I don't even know what all is going on out there. But Satan has all this power. Satan does have a certain amount of authority. And 1 Peter chapter 5 says that he is our enemy. He is not to be played with. He is not to be teased. He is not to be antagonized. He is serious business. Ever since sin entered the world, the world has been under the control of Satan, sin, and evil. Go back to the very beginning. It doesn't seem like all that big of a deal, does it? To eat a piece of fruit. 
What the, in the whole grand scheme of everything that could go wrong in the world, eating a piece of fruit doesn't seem that bad. But flip one chapter over, and you have a brother murdering his brother. You flip two chapters over from that, and you have this description of the world where the world had become so evil. Where the world had become so wicked. The writer says that every inclination of man was on evil. All they thought about all day long was evil, 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 and how I can do more evil. To the point that God said, I'm going to destroy this world. Except for Noah and his family. You see, once sin entered the world, once Satan got control. It just went downhill from there. We see the power of Satan. Now, a few weeks ago in the the junior high and high school class on Wednesday night, we were talking about the story of the demon-possessed man. Remember the one uh, named, or the demon named Legion, where, where Jesus comes up on the man, and he'd been up in the hills and all that, and they tried to chain him and all those kinds of things, and then Jesus heals him, and he's sitting there in his right mind. Okay, you know the story. And so we had a little discussion about demon possession. And so I told the kids what I thought. And that is that for a brief period of time in the history of mankind, you know, when you you have the entire history of mankind and you have Jesus' ministry of about three years, you know, somewhere in there, that for a brief period of time, God allowed Satan to involuntarily Possess individual human beings. Why? So that Jesus could show his power and dominance over Satan. We don't see, there's a couple times that may or may not be, we don't see demon possession in the Old Testament. We don't see demon possession in the New Testament past the first few chapters in Acts. It's not a common thing. All the letters that Paul writes and everything, demon possession isn't even mentioned in all of that. Why? Because I think it had died out. God had limited again Satan's ability. But during that period of time, during Jesus' time and then the the apostles' time after, I believe that God allowed Satan to involuntarily possess individuals. Now, I don't believe in that today. I don't believe it occurs. But I do believe that Satan can voluntarily possess individuals. I believe that just as you and I allow God into our hearts to lead us and guide us, there there are those who allow, whether they know it or not, Satan to enter into their hearts and evil and wickedness guide them and lead them. I believe that to be true. Voluntarily, whether they know it or not, allowing Satan in. And the results, the consequences are horrendous. And we see it around us all day long. Which leads me to the second point is what the evil one does. 
his core, at his innermost self. Remember, we, we were in 1 John and we say, God is love. God is love, okay? And we might add some other things if we wanted to. If we said God is blank and, you know, we could add some things. If we were to say Satan is a liar, that's it. That is his, his main characteristic. He is a liar. Remember in John chapter 8, Jesus said about Satan, he is a liar. In fact, he is the father of all lies. And everything that Satan does is a lie. Paul talks about his schemes and his flaming arrows in Ephesians chapter 6. Paul also says that he masquerades as an angel of light to deceive the believers. Lies, deception, misdirection are his weapons. And those of you that, you know... You know, I love this verse. I love this description. I don't know if that's it, the word to use. But the most vivid description to me of Satan is given by Peter. Be self-controlled and alert. Because you know that our enemy, the devil, is walking around like a roaring lion. Seeking someone to devour. Not nibble on, not bite, but devour. We've seen perhaps those pictures of that lion who has just feasted on the antelope or the gazelle or whatever it it may be. And that beautiful mane and that beautiful face that a lion has. I mean, a lion looks pretty cute, doesn't it? It's just matted in blood and guts. Because he has devoured that animal. And Peter says that our enemy, Satan, is like that lion walking around looking for someone to devour. Not physically, but spiritually. Looking for a soul. That he can devour. His one and only goal. Is to destroy. The lives and the souls of mankind. You know if Satan's attentions were divided. If that was just one of his goals. And he had a bunch of different goals. Then maybe he couldn't devote. Or wouldn't devote all his time and effort into that. Now you want to talk about somebody or some being. That is absolutely single-minded in purpose. It is Satan. He has no other goal. No other purpose. Than to destroy the souls of mankind. And that includes you and me. Not, he's not looking to seek somebody out there to destroy. He's not looking to seek somebody out there to devour. Well, he is, but he's roaming right around here. He's walking up and down the aisles. Does that freak you out a little bit? He's looking for somebody to devour. He may wait, may not do it in here, may wait till we get out there, but he's looking for someone to devour. When we think about Satan, we think about some of his tactics. 
and some of the lies that he says. And sometimes he'll tell us it's just not that bad. You know, for us, it's going to be hard for Satan just to come in here, slap us in the face and say, sin. Right? We're too good for that. Well, get away from me. But if he can worm his way in, if he can kind of subliminally work on our minds and our hearts, and if he can convince us or make us believe that, you know, sin just isn't really that bad. It's not that big of a deal. Isn't that, wasn't that part of his conversation with Eve? Uh, a little part? Oh, come on. Like I said, it's just a piece of fruit. A piece of fruit is a piece of fruit. It can't be that big of a deal. But over and over and over again, the Bible warns us of the dangers of sin. That sin separates us from God. That sin is what, what drives a wedge and a chasm between us and God. And it's only through the sacrifice of Jesus that that chasm can be overtaken. And we can have our right relationship with God. Sometimes he'll tell us just once. Just once. And this one normally kind of goes along with that. Just once and nobody will know. Nobody will find out. You think that had a little to do with David and Bathsheba? I, nobody will find out. Nobody will find out. All the husbands are off at war. Nobody's going to know. Well, lots of people knew, and certainly God knew, and brought it to David's attention. God is mean. That's what Satan will tell us. God is mean. The only reason God says don't do this is because he wants to spoil your fun. He wants you to keep from doing something that he knows you'd enjoy that would be pleasurable for you, and he's just kind of a mean old crotchety old guy, and he don't want you to have any fun. Isn't that what Satan said to Eve? Did God really tell you not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Well, the only reason he's doing that, because he doesn't want you to be like him. You're missing out. There's so much more out there that God doesn't want you to have. And so if you'll just do what I'm asking you to do, then it'll be so much better for you. And Satan uses that. And then one that I think is becoming more and more prevalent in our world, and even within Christianity, is the lesser of two evils argument. You know, Satan comes along, okay, he won't get us to do the big thing. Okay, well, I'm not going to do that. No way. Okay, well, what about this? Well, it's not as bad as that. And you know, there's nothing wrong with the lesser of two evils argument, except that it's the lesser of two evils. It's not the lesser of the evil and the good. It's not the lesser of the evil and the right. It's the lesser of two evils, which kind of self-explanatorially, I don't know means that whatever you choose, whether it's the greater or the lesser of, it's evil. 
It's wrong. There can be no lesser of sin. Now, maybe for consequences and whatever, one may have a greater earthly consequence than than something else. But as far as our relationship with God, there is no lesser of two evils. And we cannot say, we cannot bring our children up believing. We cannot bring or, or talk to each other with the idea of, well, I know that, you know, this probably isn't a good thing. And my child probably shouldn't be doing this, but at least they're not doing this. Whoa. Well, that's, that's the lesser of two evils argument. You remember that kind of goes back all the way. Remember Joseph? You know, and his brothers hated him. And then one of the brothers was like, you know, they all wanted to kill him. And one of the brothers, maybe it was Reuben, I'm not 100% sure, uh, said, well, no, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in a well. A lesser of two evils. Okay. Is killing your brother wrong? Yes. Is throwing your brother in a well to die wrong? Yes. I've been tempted, but okay. But yes, it's wrong. And just because they didn't do that doesn't mean that what they did do was right. But Satan can just mess with our Minds. He worms our way into our lives with his lies. He blinds us to the true blessings of following God and convinces us that the momentary pleasures of life are worth it. He's like that carnival barker. Now, I know all you younger people don't even know what a carnival barker is. And I really don't either, except from the movies. But you got that carnival, you know, you got that, 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 what do they call it? Where you walk down the part of the carnival, you midway, you know, and you got the guy with the, with the, with the, the game or whatever. And he's barking out, trying to get you to come and play his game because up there on the wall is the giant teddy bear. And the whole point is, if you will just come and you will throw the ring on the bottle cap, throw the ball and knock the the milk cans over, whatever the case may be. If you will come and do that, the giant teddy bear is yours. And that's what Satan does. He's out there going, come on, come on, come on, come in here. And if you'll just do this, look what awaits for you. But just like the carnival games, it's rigged. It's rigged. Nobody wins. And when we mess with Satan and when we play his games, nobody wins ever. And so we have to worry about Satan. If he cannot entrap us by evil or wickedness, you know what he'll do? He'll use more subtle techniques like discouragement or division. Or as we see in 1 John, false teachings. Well, I'm not going to go out and live an evil, wicked life. I'm not going to do this sin or this sin or this sin. But then somebody in the church discourages me. Says something about me. And while I may not go out and do this evil, wicked thing, I withdraw. I quit. I give up. And God is telling us we need to stay with one another. With Satan, there are no rules of engagement. There is no Geneva Convention. There is no modified warfare. It is scorched earth policy with Satan. He'll do whatever it takes and use whomever it takes. Be it friends or family or good things in and of themselves in this life taken to excess. 
to destroy us. All he has to do is to get us to take our eyes off of God. So the third point is how do we triumph over the evil one? You know, after all of that, it seems a little hopeless, doesn't it? It seems a little insurmountable. Yet over and over again, we are told that we are victorious. We are more than conquerors. We win. How is that possible? Well, in and of ourselves, it's not. In and of ourselves, we are doomed. You cannot by yourself, I cannot by myself, go to battle against Satan. We will lose. But notice what John says. He says, remember that we are born of God. Yes, Satan has control over this world. But we're not of this world. We're in this world. But we're not of this world. Satan has control over this world. But we're not in this world. Or we're not of this world. We are of God. Wow. We are protected. By God's power. By what he gives us. It's kind of like. Diplomatic immunity. You know that? I don't quite understand the whole idea of diplomatic immunity. Some dude from some country way over there could come over here and if he's a diplomat, he can commit crimes and not be punished. Well, that seems ridiculous to me. Now, I kind of understand the purpose of it. Because we don't want our diplomats subjected to political, you know, whatever's going on in some other country, you know. but, But you get the idea, you know. Diplomatic community, that's kind of what we have here. We're in this world, but we're really not of this world. And this world really cannot touch us. This world really has no control over us if we are of God. And if we are following him. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us to put on the whole armor of God, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. If Satan's main tactic is lying, this is an easy one. What is the main weapon against lie? Truth. Truth. The spirit of truth, the word of truth, the, the, the sword of truth, which is the word of God. We can know the truth because we can study God's word. Satan does not have any hold over us. Also, the church is a powerful weapon against Satan. God didn't just create the church because he thought we had nothing better to do on Sunday mornings. God created the church as a place where we can have fellowship and gain encouragement and strength from one another. You've watched the National Geographic shows. You've watched those, you know, Animal Kingdom shows or whatever. And you know the gazelle or the thing, antelope work. There's another one I was thinking, wildebeest. That's the, that's the one I wanted right there was the wildebeest. You know which one's the lion's target? 
the ones who've been separated from the pack, the ones that are weak or sick, the ones that are young or the ones that are old. Those are the ones they target because they're vulnerable. So what protection does the pack have against the roaring lion seeking the wildebeest to devour? Togetherness. Staying together. Don't leave anybody behind. The strong encircle the weak to prevent the lioness from attacking. That's what the church is. That's what we're to be. We're not to be the ones who are kicking the weak out to the perimeter so that Satan can feast on them. We're to be pulling the injured and the weak and the old and the young inside and encircling one another and protecting each other from Satan as he seeks those to devour. We also trust in God's faithfulness. We remember the story of Job, right? Something that, that I guess I knew, but kind of snuck up on me. We've talked about, you remember in Second Corinthians where Paul talked about the thorn in the flesh? And that he prayed three times for it to go away? Where did the thorn in the flesh come from? It was a messenger of Satan. A messenger of Satan has done this to him. Whoa. And then in the Gospels, Jesus says to Peter, 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 Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I ain't going to let him. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. And when we think about Job, when we think about Paul, when we think about Peter... The verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 comes to my mind. And God is faithful that he will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you can handle. When I go into battle with Satan, if I am confident of God's faithfulness that he will not put any more on me than what I can handle, wow! What strength and power I can draw. We just go out. I know there may be times in our lives when we feel like we can't handle anymore. Why is God continuing to allow all these things to happen to me? Take it as a vote of confidence from God. God is saying, it may be a lot, but I know you can handle it. Job, it may be a lot, but I know you can handle it. Peter, I know it may be a lot, but God, I know you can handle it. Paul, I know you don't understand why I'm not going to take this from you, but I know that you can handle it. We rely on God's faithfulness. James 4 and verse 7, it says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That is a two-part Expression. Don't get hung up on resist the devil and he will flee from you. Don't get caught up in that without going back to the first part. Submit yourselves to God. 
Then resist the devil and he will flee from us. The evil one does exist. He is seeking his prey and his prey is you. You, 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 you. He's coming for you. He slunk down, slunk down, slinked down, slinked down. Yeah. He's in the grass just waiting to pounce and devour. And you're his prey. I'm his prey. But we are not of this world. We are of God. And God has not left us powerless. We're Satan. If you're here this morning in some way we can help or encourage you, we invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas. 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.